Hopefully not. Oh, yeah. Martin Luther said that the soul can do without everything except the word of God, without which none of all its wants are provided for. The heart of our focus this morning is uh, that we cannot live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. From a really young age, I was encouraged to develop a, a habit of being in the word, um, whether it was uh, coloring pages we got in Sunday school when we were little kids, they had a little verse on the top, and we mainly focused on the coloring part. It was something to do during the service. Um, family devotions, which we, I labored to sit through, um, but I remember them. Um, Bible memory contests uh, in Sunday school and trying to win that prize, um, get all the stars. Um, I, have a, I have a trophy upstairs that I got in Awana for memorizing verses. Um, Believe it or not, I was on a traveling junior high Bible quiz team. Um, they actually had those. We would, they would assign like Matthew 24 through 27, and we'd memorize them, and then we'd sit in little tables with little buttons, actually, and we, they'd ask questions, you'd hit the button, and we would take on other churches and whoop them in the Bible. So, yeah. I have upstairs still my, my first leather-bound Schofield Bible that my dad gave to me. It's a, a mess. That's all beat up. I remember an old woman who sat next to me when I was 12, and I'd heard a message, and I was a believer, but I was having all these doubts about it. I remember her opening the word for me and, and didn't just tell me I was fine, but showed me God's very words that told me and assured me that I was right with him. And I know times I've had in the past and still do, and I just, even this morning, hearing certain verses just read that, that bring tears uh, into my eyes. I also know um, what it's like to just totally neglect it altogether. Um, to say I'm too busy, which is never true. Um, times I've laid it aside because of lingering doubts about whether I could really trust it or not. Um, Times when it instructed my heart, but I didn't do what we just sang about. I said, I don't want to listen to that right now. I just didn't want to hear it. And in those cases, as they always do, I, I languished for life and was definitely the poor for its lack. Whenever I'm not eating and chewing on, as we talk about this, relishing in the good taste of the word, um, I begin to falter and I doubt and ultimately become disorientated in this world, as Brian said, where we have trouble discerning truth. Without the, without the word, I lose my footing and my, the anchor for my life, and I begin to drift. Um, and when I do take it in, though, and I nourish it and take it inside like the word talks about, um, I don't always understand it, and I'm not, um, its flavors are sometimes foreign to me, but it satisfies and it ministers the presence of God to my soul, as I'm sure it does for many of you. And its, its voice speaks truth, and it re-engages engages my heart with my Redeemer. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 8, chapters, verses 1 through 3, and they'll be up on the screen as well. These words from Moses. Um, and God's speaking this. He says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply 
and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. Verse 2 says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. This is as they came out of that 40 years of wandering. That God might humble you and testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And then verse 3, interesting, it says, he humbled you, God humbled you, and God let you hunger. And he fed you manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What's going on in this passage? It's God lets them be hungry. It says, when they came out of the Egypt, God had given them directions. Um, he had given a revelation of himself all through that time. Um, what were they were to do, what, how they were to live, what life was to look at, like as they came out. And uh, they did what we often do. They ignored it. They came out and God said, this is what I want you to do. And they said, no. They ignored it. They failed to, to put their trust in him. They were filled with fear. They put their trust in all sorts of other things. And so God, instead of taking them into the land, takes them back out in the desert. Um, and they just go in circles for a whole generation, 40 years. And they wandered. And the scriptures tell us, and we read about it in uh, those first five books, as they wandered, um, you can't grow anything out there. There's no food out there, and it says that they were hungry. Now, I don't know if you know what it means to, to really be hungry. Uh, most of us don't. Um, we know what it is when our stomachs throw a temper tantrum. It's not hungry. It just means it wants that chip, right, that we didn't get. To be hungry is when it, it, it begins to, to, to deep down, there's a, there's, we have a need to eat. Not just because I want to, I'm used to it, but because my body needs it to keep going. And it says that they hungered. They, God put them in a place um, where they could not provide for themselves. By the way, that's a grace when God does that, hard as it is, because it drives us to him. Because as long as I can make it happen, I'm just going to keep going at that, right? And they put, were put in a place where they simply, it was impossible to provide for themselves. They would starve and die. Outside of God's intervention, they were all going to perish. And the testing he put them through, it says in those verses that they were going to reveal or test their heart to see what was there in them. Or maybe to put something in there that wasn't. Did they trust in God alone? Was, was what God spoke to them, were his instructions and, and his calling on them, was that enough for them? Was he really the source of life? And would they live according to that? And so he took 40 years to test that as well as produce it in them. And it says he let them hunger. So you get this picture that they're in the desert and they're wandering and they're hungry. They need to eat, but there's nothing there. So what does God do? He provides this manna, right? This miracle bread or this sustenance that, that every day it shows up and it's there for them to eat just, just enough to get them through the day. Not when they got the end of it and gone, man, I'm stuffed. I could go for a week without eating. Just enough to sustain their bodies for the day, it says. That day only. And then the next day comes along, and they need food, right? And there's nothing, but they get up, and what do they find? It's there again. 
for 40 days this goes on, 40, 40 years, not 40 days, 40 years this goes on. Every single day, if God doesn't provide, they languish. And each day God says, trust me for this, trust me for this, and he gives them this bread. They were to learn that there was something um, that was more essential than bread. He wants them to learn that there was something more important than staying alive. The purpose of it wasn't just to think, I can trust that I get bread. The purpose of it was that they could trust God. That trusting him and paying attention to him was actually more important. He was trying to drive them to pay attention to himself. Interesting, the Israelites were more focused on the bread usually. And then they wanted something different, so he gives them quails until they can already stand eating it anymore. Because they, were, they began to trust in the rival of bread rather than trusting in the one who brought it, which was the goal of that testing. Real sustenance is found in God alone and in his words. And for them, that meant in God's directions and his commandments, which we had given to them to listen to and to obey, to give life. In the, in the desert, he wanted to stir up in them, in the midst of their physical hunger, a hunger for God himself and for him to reveal and show himself to them and to delight in God's presence and his words. We jump to Matthew chapter 4, and you remember the story of Jesus goes in the wilderness, right? He's, uh, after 30 years, he's baptized, and it says that the Spirit took him to the wilderness. And we're going to be returning to Matthew next week, and one of the things we've talked about is that um, Jesus is like the new Moses, and there's all these parallels between what Israelites were supposed to do and failed to do and what Jesus comes along and does. So as they went in the wilderness for 40 years and failed, Jesus now goes out into the wilderness and does what they did not do. And interestingly, he goes out there for 40 days. And it parallels the Israelites' time in the wilderness of 40 years, and it says that Jesus was also tested. And he was tested, and what does he do? He's hungry, it says. It says he spent 40 days without eating, and then he's hungry. By the way, at 40 days, and it's different for different people, it depends. But generally, that's the marking point when your body has um, exhausted all of its resources, all, all the fat. It's, it's gone everywhere it can get to get some kind of sustenance, and then it begins to turn in on itself. So it's taking away the very, very life of the body to stay alive. And that's where Jesus is. So he's not just like have a snack attack or something. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he will starve to death if he continues to go in that direction. 40 days and he's hungry. And Satan comes along and he tells him to, to do what happened back there. Remember? God made all this bread. He made this special stuff. Take the stones and make them bread and eat. Interesting, Jesus, who's the bread of life, right? He could do that. He could have done it all along. Remember, I'm not even sure that it was even wrong for him to do that. He could... He can make bread. He, does, he did that later on, right? He multiplies bread for the people. But Jesus says to him, he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The question is, again, why didn't Jesus just make bread and feed himself? He could. And like I said, I don't even think it would have been a sin. I don't think he would have been failing and some, doing something wrong. Rather, Jesus was fulfilling or completing the very test that the Israelites failed in. 
which is not to trust in bread, but to trust in the giver of the bread and God himself, to place himself fully in there, to, to make him, as I said, the Israelites depended on their bread, and that's all they thought about, and they forgot to trust in God who gives it. And Jesus says later on, we hear him say, my bread is what? To do the will of my Father. And so Jesus, as he sits there and he's hunger and he needs it, he's going, God will provide, I'm not going to do it. And it'd be better for me to trust in the Father than to um, even live. And if I starve to death here in this wilderness, I'm adding to his things, this is what he's saying, that would be better than as long as I'm trusting the Father to provide, and he will provide when he needs to. So Jesus rejects the food, as I said, to say it's more important to hear and hold to and to trust in God's living words, his provision. It's, believe it or not, it is more important than eating. And I, I love to eat, by the way. <laughs> you know, God, in the very beginning of the garden, it's the first thing God says, go enjoy eating. It's a good thing. But it'd be better to starve and die, is what these words are saying, than fail to live a life founded upon the very words of God. It'd be better if I starved and died than to fail to live a life that's founded upon the very words of God. That's how important he says it is for us. And by the way, Jesus says not just some of God's words, but every word and all the ways that God shares it. Interesting, actually, the discipline of fasting, when we choose voluntarily not to eat for a period of time, one of the purpose is to remind uh, my soul that um, to hear from God, um, to be attentive, is more important than anything else, because we forget. There's so many things that are valuable to us, and so there's a time, Jesus says, there's times when we should just not eat and tell my soul and my body that is less important than hearing from God. And God, I want to have that kind of heart. It's a, it's a way to say that. On a side note, um, the primary way to hear from God for us today, and even Jesus does that out in the wilderness because he, he repeats the very written words of God several times. Our primary way to hear from God is through his, his, uh, his written revelation. Um, but God does speak and reveal himself through other ways, just so I make sure that's clear. He leads in our hearts. He works through other people, um, through the experiences that we have that touch us, even through our traditions. Um, they're all ways that God has directed his people. But all of those other ways are secondary to the word. They have to be tested according to the plumb line of God's word. My experiences can mislead me. Other people can mislead me. My own heart can mislead me. And so as I take what those things are speaking in my life and then I hold them against God's word, they can be used to give us direction as well. They're not necessarily equal ways of hearing from God, but they're supplemental and have to be validated by um, his word. And interesting, Jesus himself, God incarnate, lived a life trusting in and waiting on the very words of God for his direction. And he calls us to do the same. Familiar verse, I learned it in Awana, first time, 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All scripture is, is God-breathed, given, 
and it's profitable. Um, it means it's necessary. It, it, it bears fruit in our life. And it results in, it, says, it tells us what it does there. It says it's profitable, or it's necessary for doctrine. It, it lets me know what is true, the things that we believe. And then it says it's profitable for reproof. Just love that, don't we? We love reproof. It, it tells us when we're off course is what it does. It just The fact is, if I don't have someone direct me, I can be so off course and be, and be perfectly content and not even see it. And yet somewhere along, something, I'll read something, and it brings conviction and says, Chris, what are you doing over here? This is, this is where I am. That's the reproof. It corrects my way. It convicts. It, it reveals the lies in my heart that I've embraced because I'm confronted with the truth of what's there. And then it says that it's profitable for correction. In other words, God doesn't say, you're off course, good luck to you. It's correction. He shows us how to, how to walk, how to be back on that path again, what it looks like to walk with him, how to, how to be restored. And then lastly, it's profitable for training and righteousness. It, it leads us on. It goes with us. And in the end, it says in that same, in verse 17, what does it bring? That we could be complete and equipped for every good work. It produces the fruit of righteousness in a life that's marked by fullness. As a matter of fact, if you go back in, um, I think it's in Deuteronomy 8, it talks about as if they follow um, God's plan and they listen to his words, it talks about fullness of life that they'll experience. That's what it produces in us. It is imperative to be in the word. Otherwise, I'm just left to my own thoughts my own resources, and my own wisdom about what life is to look like, and it doesn't show up very well. Simple example this week of how God's word can speak to us. I, um, probably the worst time of day to go, but I went to Costco Wednesday at 4 o'clock, and um, I have not been to Costco in over a decade. Um, and so I went over there, and um, I... Went to, I was on the east side, so I was turning off of, what is it, it's on um, Grant there, um, or Cole, whatever it is, and I go to turn, and I, first of all, there's all these cars turning in, and there's this huge line of cars all waiting for the light to get out, and like, me, I'm going, I don't want to go to this place, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get out of here until tonight, you know, and, um, and I wasn't even sure what I was looking for, I was just going, so, um, and so I, I pull in, and then all these people are trying to turn to their different spots, which holds everybody up. And as soon as I could get around them, I buzzed around and went way out to some corner and parked. And so I head in, and, um, and I was just, like, overwhelmed. Um, and, I don't, and I know that I should go and know my way around and figure out what you need and don't need and know that ahead of time, and that works. That's how I usually shop. Um, but I, I didn't go that way. Um, and I went in there, and there's carts and they're, they're huge carts and and people that don't know how to drive them and there's scooters going around and there was this chaos and I was overwhelmed with all this stuff and I remember um, th- seriously the tension level inside me deep down just started climbing I mean uncomfortably climbing I was I um, I wanted to sh- get on the loudspeaker and go everybody get in a line please like this is one way over here and I just I wanted to order the whole place um, which I couldn't. I wanted to. So I found a giant container of Excedrin migraine, which my wife uses a lot, and I got out of there as fast as I could with that thing, so I'll go back. Um, interesting. The next day, 
Um, and I was tense. I didn't, on the outside I looked fine, but inside I was, I was going a little nuts. Um, I was resting on the couch and I heard the verse that somebody shared this morning. I heard the verse, let not your heart be troubled, came to my mind. Let it not be stirred up. Um, and then I heard from Psalms, it says, oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within you? Um, and my first thought came suddenly conviction. <laughs> I thought, why was I so uptight? What was going on there with me? And I began to think, I actually didn't, disob- I didn't ignore it. I was Because the scriptures go on, um, let your heart be troubled, what? Believe in God, believe also in me. And the psalm passage says that, oh my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? And it says, hope in God. Well, there's a connection there between the stirring up and a lack of believing, a lack of hoping. I'm like, what is going on with that? In my particular home, I've shared this a little bit before, but um, I worked very hard to create a safe place in my home. Um, I did anything I could to to make sure there was no chaos, (laughs) that there was always order, and that there was a place of peace um, in, in the home I grew up in. I wanted to know exactly what was going on, and I, I worked, learned to work really hard to keep that in place. And when things aren't in order, like I can go, actually, if somebody has a bad accident, somebody's hurt, I'm actually really, I'm not tense at all because I can step in and take control, right? But places like Costco or places with people who I can't control and lives I can't control, I get stressed out. Um, It's a, it's a failure to trust God for peace and order. It's a resolution in my own heart that I'm going to control and keep things at peace. And I wouldn't know that without God's word. I would just keep doing the same thing like I am and believe in the same lies that it's up to me to create calm and control and that if I can just work hard enough, I can create safety, and it's a lie. The scriptures say believe in God and hope in him. So even in the smallest pieces of our day, letting God's word flow in is what pulls us forward. And so I had to confess, Lord, I don't trust in you to bring order. I don't trust in you that when things are in chaos, that it'll be okay. I'm always trying to do it. Forgive me for doing that. It's not my place. I had to tell him that I was trusting myself and not him. God's word instructs, it reveals our heart it corrects us and it draws us forward. And if we neglect it, which we so often do, this is so easy to, then we are left on our own. So why do we so easily neglect the word? Or why do we maybe take it in real regular, but we read it as just something to know and, and not really let it touch our hearts? A um, couple thoughts on that. One, if perhaps we don't feel a need for it. We're like the Israelites. We're just, we just don't feel a need for it. Um, we fill up so much on, on other things and actually feel genuinely satisfied at times and content, maybe even full um, with other things. Or maybe things are going well enough that there's not this sense, real sense of needing something more. Or perhaps we've built up enough inside that we're running on um, kind of the old stuff. So we don't think we need it. Um, 
we nibble at so many of our things that we get filled up in other things, and we forget that we're supposed to have a hunger for God. One writer says this, weakness of our hunger for God and his word is not because he isn't good, but because we have overstuffed ourselves with other things, other things that bring a surface level of contentment and peace, and we think we have things figured out. We need the deeper word of God, though. Or perhaps we think we can just be fine without it. I've ignored it for a long time. Things are going okay. I guess it's fine. We don't even think about it. Yet to ignore God's word um, is to ignore the very need for God's activity and presence in our life. So again, what does God in his grace do to counteract that dullness of appetite for his word in our hearts? I think he lets us be hungry sometimes. I think he lets us begin to realize that it's not working on our own, that we need him to speak into our life again so we can realize and know and embrace the truth that we desperately need him before everything else. And we primarily learn of him through his word. And I think that God brings things along to drive us afresh to knowing that I've got to have him speaking to my life or I am a goner if he doesn't do it. And it drives us back to him and to his word. The better way for us is to ask God to help us know our need, to, to stir up that hunger for him. And by the way, that's a good prayer to pray. Um, I'm not sure if we're responsible to create that. The Holy Spirit creates that. Ask him to do that. And then secondly, to actually open up his word and, and, and read it and let it speak to our hearts to begin to feed our souls with the very words of God where nourishment and ultimately all provision comes from. So I just want to make a suggestion this morning, an invitation, whether you're regularly reading the word and faithful in that, um, or whether you've just languished in this, for, and, you know, um, I would like to, we have this, uh, what we're calling 40 days in the word, um, I just want to offer and suggest two things. Um, the first thing is easy. Read it. Read the word. Um, it's, it's our encouragement this morning. Ultimately, it's, this is the best thing we can do. Um, as I said, this is for all of us, whether we're faithfully in there every day or we've never, ever had a habit of being in the word. Um, spending the next 40 days, basically eight weeks, five days a week for the next eight weeks is something we can do as a church body. Um, by the way, this is an invitation God makes. Um, it's not an assignment. Um, I always feel like everything's an assignment. This is not. Um, in your bulletins, there's a, a reading plan, and um, there's one. There's more on the back counter, and there's a, some on the table. Um, the reading plan is also on our, web, um, our website. Um, you just go to the website, and you'll be able to see 40 Days in a Word. It actually has some introductory thoughts about it, and it has our reading plan and then on our Facebook page, each Monday, I will um, post that week's schedule, so just so you have it. Um, and it's designed to start tomorrow, reading five days a week for um, eight weeks. As I said, the, the, the goal here is not to get through it. So it's like, oh, man, I'm behind. I guess I'm a failure. I mean, if, if that's where it goes, don't go that way, okay? Um, it's just to get us in the Word. So you can take it, and you've actually got seven days to do five days of reading, um, you can make it 80 days in Word. You can make it 
160 days in the Word. It doesn't matter what you do with it. Um, it's, it's, it's to just get us in the Word together, and here's one way to do it. We're not going to put up a, the little chart up here, and everybody's going to have a camel, and your name's going to be on it. It's going to show how far you are if you grew up in a church like that. Going to win it. So, no. By the way, on your reading plan, I, it's uh, less reading than we did this a couple years ago. Um, and just instead of just being New Testament, we have Old Testament and New Testament this time. I will tell you, the first two weeks are the heaviest. After that, it gets really easy, way easier. So um, stick with it. Um, as I said, you have seven days t- for the five readings, or you can make it a different kind of plan if you want. Again, it's not a task or an assignment. It's just an invitation to reopen the Word again and to begin to enjoy it. Um, also, on the uh, back counter and on the table outside, there's... Um, I've got about 100 of these. They're just a, they're just a blank notebook. So um, if you want to journal or write or mark down the verses that mean something to you or your impact on just there's like 100 of these. So don't take it because you just want a nice, it's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> cheap, anyways. <laughs> um, that's more. Anyways, if, but if you want to do that, grab one. They're out on the table there, and there's like a million pens. So um, if that will help you remember and do it, uh, grab one of those as you go out this morning and journal as you go. There are suggestions on our web page. Just a reminder, pray for insight. Ask God to show you something as you read. Um, because we're reading a bigger section, kind of read for the big picture. Um, we're, we're doing bigger parts rather than just a, a verse, but um, read what you can, and that's really all that matters. Um, and as I said, perhaps break it up during the day a little bit in the morning. During the evening, um, most of you have phones that will actually read it out loud to you while you're driving, and that's actually a great way to listen to the word in a different way. Um, so this is that. The second thing to do besides reading it is interact with it, of course. Um, part of seeing God's work, uh, word sink in is to interact with it. So a couple of ways to do that. On your reading list, there are five questions at the bottom. They're just real simple questions to help you think about what you're reading. As I said, you could maybe as you read those questions and you read the word, can write down what comes to mind in your journals for that. Um, if you're in a community group, maybe suggest taking the first 10 minutes each week and just say, did anybody, anybody impacted by the word this week and what you read? And maybe just have a chance to share that or share some of the answers from your questions. Um, and then lastly, if, if God touches you through the reading and you want to share that, just tell me and this will be open to you on any Sunday th- over these next weeks could share and just say, boy, I was reading and this came across and this is what touched my life and there will be a chance for us all to benefit if you would want to share that. So just talk to me and I'd be happy to have you do that. We have, we have the word of God, his revelation to us, uh, given to us, a storehouse of nourishing. Um, it's living food for the people of God and, and the, its pantry, if we want to think about it, is just stocked full of good things about just about everything you can imagine. And the invitation for us is come in and open it up, and without cost, we get to take it and eat it and take it into ourselves. So there's the invitation to you today. just encourage you over these next weeks, just as we end this new year, to step afresh into that. And um, I think we'll all benefit and grow as a church as we do so. Brian, if you could bring the worship team back up. We gather around the table each week. It's interesting, if we want, if we're like the Israelites, we think, I wish we could just get some manna from heaven. I wish we could just get some bread from heaven. Well, we have it. 
Um, Jesus said he is the bread that came down from heaven, the bread of life for us. In John 6, Jesus says this, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so the people said, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The value of the word is that it points to Jesus. And that's what we gather on this table. A little later in John 6, Jesus says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world, it is my very flesh. As his people, we are to live by every word that comes from God. Jesus himself is the incarnate word, the word made flesh, given to us, dwelling among us. And here at the table every week, and if you're visiting this morning, there's one here on the side and in the back. We, we turn from nibbling at all sorts of other things to get satisfaction in this world that don't actually give life or nourishment. And remember that the word made flesh for us so that we could be filled with life afresh again. If you're visiting this morning, um, we, if you know Jesus, the table has, your, has a seat with your name on it. And gather around as a church. We, we break the bread off remembering his body given for us. And we dip it in the cup remembering his blood that brought forgiveness and a, of sins for us. And we do it together. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 7 says, The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a part, very participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break is it not a participation in the very body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Let's, uh, let me pray, and then as, uh, as we are led in music, the, the table is open and invites you to come. Lord, I'm thankful this morning that you did just not hurl words from heaven to us and then to say to go and make it happen. But you've given us your written word that we can open every day. We can actually hear the very words of God spoken. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who brings them to life and speaks your truth to us. We thank you that you came down from heaven. Became like us and walked among us. So the God who's far away became tangible. All the way to the point of death so that we could experience life. And as we take of the bread and the cup this morning, Lord, and as we sing, uh, give us a fresh hunger for your word, a fresh hunger for yourself, and be honored in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.